6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 25 through 30. Let's continue in verse 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. If you're an attorney in a courtroom, you place a great deal of emphasis on precedence. You build your case on precedence. Well, an unchangeable God, an immutable God, is the most effective argument to remind us of his ancient mercies and his eternal love. Because he is unchangeable, that's one reason are embracing the history of God's dealings uh, uh, is so valuable to us because he has an unblemished record of faithfulness and he's unchangeable. That's, why, that's what David's calling upon here. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Why is that relevant? Because he doesn't change. He's still that way. Remember not the sins of my youth. Indeed, David had some, but he repented of them nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for my sake? No, for thy goodness sake. God's reputation, in effect, is being appealed to here, Lord. So, okay, he, uh, he had three and eight. We've just talked about the first seven verses. The help we need comes from God. Let's go to the next unwavering assurances that David clung to. Our God can be trusted. See, when you pray... Fix your eyes, as David did, on the fact that God is what? That he's good. That he's upright. That he's willing to instruct sinners. How condescending of him, but he's willing to do that. That he's loving. That he's faithful. That he's forgiving. These are (laughs) significant, demonstrable, proven attributes of the God that we fix our eyes on. And that's what we do when we pray. And what confidence we have in prayer is not because we pray well, but because of the nature of the God to whom we pray. He's what it's all about. Not our skill, not our articulation. He's what it's all about. Our God is what we can trust, not our prayers. Our God is what we're trusting. Let's jump in. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Again, it's a doing, not just hearing thing. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. For whose sake? My sake? No, for thy name's sake. Interesting. So the psalmist is reiterating his prayer for instruction in the way, the same thing we had in verses 4 and 5 are echoed here again. 
But now his prayer, although it echoes verses in 4 or 5, it's grounded in the revealed character of God. What man is he that feareth the Lord? <laughs> Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. The way it's been put by some is that he who fears God has nothing else to fear. Boy, that's a, that's a soldier's creed, isn't it? His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of, I love this one. I really love this one especially. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. This is an admission of confidential intimacy. It's not seeing as believing. Believing is seeing. Neither natural wisdom nor human strength can force the door to this inner chamber. And anyone who doesn't understand the meaning of this verse will never learn it from any commentary. You, you, either, you either experience this by your relationship with him or it's forever elusive to you. God has secrets. Amos 3.7 says, God will do nothing but that which he reveals to his servant, the prophets. In Genesis 18, God reveals himself to Abraham. Is Abraham not my friend? Shall I not tell him what I'm going to do? And it goes on with other passages all through the Scripture. Proverbs 25.2, it's, it's the honor of God to conceal a thing and the duty of kings to search out a matter. But there's also God, because of the, some of these secrets, it's His plan for your life. God has a plan for each of our lives. Jeremiah 29.11 uh, highlights that and all the way through the Scriptures. God has a plan for our lives, and our great adventure is to discover what, they, what that is. Okay, let's take the third unwavering assurance that David has as he embraces this psalm. Trusting God brings us victory, David maintains. See, the enemies we have to conquer, what victory are we talking about? Well, we've got enemies to conquer, danger. Have you ever experienced danger? All kinds. Have you ever experienced loneliness? Boy, David sure did. Three of his sons, Absalom, Amnon, and Adonijah, turned against him. And also his close friend and counselor, Ahithophel, that was the aged advisor at his elbow, that turned on him. Anybody know why Ahithophel turned on David, his trusted counselor, his inside help? Most people don't know this. Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And apparently he never really forgave David for having violated his granddaughter. That's a conjecture, but it's an interesting relationship. A broken heart. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have, been, have had that enemy to conquer? A broken heart over some situation. And regrets. Fear. I can remember once, gripped in the deep darkness of fear. And in the depth of that darkness, I called Chuck Smith. I just placed a call to Chuck. I says, Chuck, what do you do when you're really terrified? 
And he gave me an answer I'll never forget. He says, focus on the love of God. And I did. In ways that I'll, I don't ever want to, I never want to forget. That he's there in those times. And of course, despair. David goes on, mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Now, a net is a common metaphor for temptation. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The ground of a quarrel is always ourselves. The ground of a quarrel is always ourselves. And when that's removed, there's nothing to prevent our full enjoyment of communion with God. What's in the way is us. How did that go in the comic strip? I've met the enemy and they are us, huh? How often that's true. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Boy. They say when the sea is at its lowest ebb, the tide must surely turn. Once you know it's at the lowest ebb, that's great. But it's sort of like going down a roller coaster in the dark. You don't, you're not sure there is a bottom down there. Right? Anyway, David continues, Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. And there's no hate that's so cruel as that which is unreasonable and unjust. It's less cruel if it's justified. What's really cruel if it's unjustified? The flip side of that is your hurts and resentments. The most dangerous ones are the, the justified ones. If you have a resentment that's justified, they're the dangerous ones because you won't let those go. You can, wash, you can rinse them off. But if they are justified, they're the ones that will keep you in bondage because you'll cling to them. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. That's where the acrostics complete. The last one is a tagline, an addition in a sense. It breaks away from the acrostic pattern. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. So that's Psalm 25. Now, David closed that one with an emphasis on his integrity, and he had justifications for leaning on that. Psalm 26 is a strong affirmation of integrity, and it's a prayer that God would recognize it. At uh, no time in the life of David clearly presents itself as an occasion for this passage. You can just study it all you like, and it's not clear that you can link some incident in his life to this particular psalm. So Psalm 26 is very similar to 25, except it, it does not include a prayer for pardon. The psalmist declared that he kept separate from sinners, that he identified himself with the worship of the Lord, and on this basis, he uh, prayed for, with the confidence the Lord would, uh, would heal him and so forth. So he has three requests in, in here. Vindicate me, examine me, redeem me. 
Short little psalm. Vindicate simply means to give me justice, defend my reputation. And David was a man of integrity. And there are lots of verses on that all through the Psalms and, 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 and the history as we watch it. And the Lord himself affirmed his integrity in 1 Kings 9, verses 4 and 5. He's declared as having integrity there. And so when, you're, when your character and conduct are attacked, it's not wrong to vindicate yourself as Paul did in 2 Corinthians 10 or ask the Lord to vindicate you. You're not just defending yourself, you're defending the name of the Lord that we, whom we serve. So that's a, that's a, may a surprise you to many people. And uh, there's many times, I know in my case too, where you're, you, you're in, inappropriately accused, just let it pass. And that may be the right move in many places. And yet, there is a, there is a, uh, I remember once, it's interesting, I was uh, president of a corporation. I had just taken over at the request of the bank's public company. My number two man was the vice president of marketing. Uh, we had a meeting with some important people, and, uh, and during which I sort of adopted sort of a humble posture. And I thought, you know, that's the Christian thing to do. I was just sort of, you know, um, being casual. When the people left, the door closed, and this the, the, the vice the, my number two man, who was older than I was, but uh, anyway, he a very seasoned professional. He closed the door with just the two of us, and he chewed me out. And I'll never forget that. He said, "Don't ever do that again. You're not you're not Chuck Missler. You're the president of this company, and don't you ever do that again. Don't don't you ever uh, demean the office of the office you're sitting in." I thought I was being humble, and I realized what he, from his point of view, I, I did something less than really represent the company in a positive, aggressive way. I've never forgotten that, because you can't separate the person from the office in that situ in a situation like that. And how often we're in that position where we're representing the king. There are times when uh, it's important to put these three requests up there. Vindicate me, examine me, and then redeem me. Let's jump into Psalm 26. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity, for I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart, for the loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. In verse, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. His slanderers, David's slanderers, were described uh, 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 before, and they're also going to be detailed in subsequent verses here. Verse 2, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. Now, reins, by the way, technically the Hebrew word is for kidneys, but it's used in the sense that it's the, the seat of the emotions, like we use the term guts, okay? And the heart, of course, is the place of moral decision. And so, prove me. Try my reins in my heart. And uh, so, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. That's his declaration. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I've hated the congregation of the evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocence, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Does some of this sound familiar to you? Do you remember Psalm 1, the first psalm we studied? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or that sitteth or standeth in the way of sinners, 
or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Remember that in Psalm 1? That this echoes the same, the same issue. David had a balanced life. He hated sin, but loved the things of God. Many of us make a stab at loving the things of God, but I'm not sure we have any. You can almost measure our spiritual maturity by the degree to which we hate sin the way God hates sin. I'm not talking hating sinners. God doesn't hate the sinners. He loves the sinner, but he hates sin. And, he, and, and David did this in, in the way he walked. In verses 1, 3, and 11, he emphasized the way he walks. Verse 12, how he stood and how he was sitting in verse 4. In other words, every, all his various postures, he, he uh, kept himself from evil. That's his, that's his assertion that he could make before the throne of God. He hated sin but loved the things of God. Continuing verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Boy, boy. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and the right hand is full of bribes. Well, all this is about the same thing. We have sheep and goats and tares and wheat that are all mixed today. But the day is coming, and not very far away, when God will separate them and the wicked will perish. And if you're, those of you that are jotting down references, you'll want to jot down not just Psalm 1, which we just made reference to, but also Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, and Matthew 25, 31 to 46, deals with that issue. But David continues, But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place, in other words, on level ground. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. So David's on level ground. He will not waver. He's got good footing. He's prepared to stand. So that's that little psalm. Okay, let's take Psalm 27. This one's got some surprises. Most of these are pretty straightforward. They're, they're intimate. They're personal. They're relevant to each one of us. But Psalm 27 has a little sleeper in it. As far as I'm concerned, I'll let you judge for yourself. Let's just jump into Psalm 27. By the way, uh, it's in the Septuagint. The uh, annotation is that it was before he was anointed. So this is probably before he was exiled from his home and being hunted by Saul and his men and all of that. This may have been, may have been a very early psalm. But it, it speaks of three fears in here. The fear of circumstances in the first six verses. The fear of failure in the next four verses. And the fear of the future in the next four verses. So that's just one way to try to outline the psalm. I put it there for your use, but it's probably useless. I think outlining in my, this is one of those places I don't think it's that useful. I think you just digest them, outline free. That may be a bad attitude for a commentator. I may be doing you a disservice, but I think you do better just to digest them on your own without the encumbrance of, you know, commentary notes, except where maybe here and there they might be illuminating. Anyway, Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of whom shall I be afraid? 
John Knox is famous for saying, one with God is a majority. I like that. We've all heard that line. I was intrigued to discover it really came from John Knox originally, apparently. When Cromwell was asked why he didn't fear anyone, he said, I have learned that if you fear God, you have no one else to fear. And that, uh, that explains a lot of his conduct. Continue verse 2. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my, fo- my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Right? If God be for us, who can be against us, is the way Paul summarizes it in Romans 8. David continues, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, Psalm 26, 27, and 28 also will reveal David's love for God's sanctuary, his focus on the sanctuary. And by the way, in that day, it wasn't a temple. It hadn't been built yet. It was a tabernacle in, uh, uh, up in Mount Zion. And uh, God would later uh, pro- uh, let David provide the materials and gave David the plans for the temple that Solomon uh, later built. But there, it's interesting here how confident he is on the one hand, he's confident of victory. But verse 4 is a fascinating verse that I can attest to personally. In my life, I have been blessed out of my socks. As a, I, had, I came from a, a wonderful home, very modest home, but a very wonderful home. In school, in those days, the school system I was in was outstanding. It's no longer that way, but it was then. I was able to coast through, through college with, with the incredible high school background I did have from the L.A. City schools in those days. I stood high in the class. I had an aptitude for technical things, and that allowed me to coast through a lot of interesting adventures. I was heading for a doctorate. I was going to go for a Ph.D. in E at Stanford when I had the, got the Academy appointment, and the glamour of that attracted me, and it gave me a passion for adventure I've never lost. And I won't bore you with all of that, except I was always at the right place at the right time and had an incredible array of adventures, both in, at the academy and the Air Force subsequent, and then in think tanks and the defense industry following, and I could go on and on. But I got to a point where I was at a crossroads of, of a number of ways, and I was visited by Hal Lindsey, who uh, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, so to speak, and said, Chuck, what do you enjoy most doing? He knew what the answer was, because all through those adventurous years, my hobby, my outlook, was Bible studies. That's what I did for fun. He said, what do you enjoy doing most? And he knew what the answer was, I just love Bible studies. I always have. He said, ever thought about doing that full time? I never took myself seriously to Bible studies. I, I, I taught the Monday night studies at Calvary, but that was a, a recreation. I did that as casually as some people might teach Sunday school class on Sunday or something, you know. It's something I did, but I did for some years, and the tapes from that went around a lot of places. But So I had a, a falling of sorts. But, but uh, Hal said, do you ever thought about doing it full-time? And I told him, I, I never felt that I felt called to be a pastor. He said, you don't have to be. Because you're following, you normally can't make it as an independent. You could, as you, with your following, you could. But you give it a try. Well, you, that way you, could, you, you won't get rich, but you could probably survive, and you could do what you like best. And, uh, okay, give that a try. And, and we did, and the Lord blessed it. But when I read... read Psalm 27, verse 4, 
I can relate to this because I have a second career for the last uh, 15, 20 years, whatever it's been, um, doing what used to be my hobby. I get to do what I do full time. I get to study the Bible full time. And a lot of the onerous chores that accompany this, I've got people that have picked up the ball. I really have a free ride. Went to Israel. And, and, and when the water's cold and there's baptism, Dan did it for me. <laughs> Wherever I turned, there was something that wasn't really, you know, particularly tragic. Dan just jumped in and I had a free ride. Had a blast. Around here, I get supported incredibly well. We just had a conference uh, at the Coeur d'Alene Resort that's one of the most phenomenal conferences I've ever been involved in. Never attended even, let alone be involved in. And all kinds of people are doing all the tough stuff, making sure that all the T's are crossed and I's dotted. And I just got a chance to get up there and shoot my mouth off and mix with people who love the Lord. And, and so I look at this. I, I, I consider David. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. This is David talking. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I am doing that as close as it's possible to do in this earthly life right now. I spend my time, most of my, not all my time obviously, but most of my time pouring through commentaries, tracking down little treasures tucked in corners that other people have missed. I, I, that's, my, that's my biggest kick is discovering something in the word. I'll meet with my rabbinical friends and they'll show me something that I never knew about in the Old Testament. I come home with a nugget. That's a joy. That's a, there's nothing more fun than that. And, and, and so forth. So I can relate to what he's saying here. Now he's saying it in a broader sense, of course, but I can understand that passion. That's what David was. David was a warrior. He, had all, you know, he was king. No, what he wanted to do is just be, behold the beauty of the Lord, inquire in his temple. Man, that's great stuff. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music